0: Ephesians five fifteen it says, "Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is." So, what I want to share with you today is uh, to recognize that we're really doorkeepers. Thanks, buddy. Uh, doorkeepers to the uh, to the kingdom of God. You know, there's only one way of uh, salvation. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we are the doorkeepers. We're the ones that are going to invite people into uh, God's kingdom. We're the ones that are going to sow the seeds. And it's never our job to decide, well, do I think that person will become a Christian or not? Or, you know, uh, do I think that's a good person? Or that, is that good soil? You know, the parable of the soils. When sowing seed, and I, I grew up on a farm, I understand. And uh, especially wheat and different things. Man, you're just putting it out there. And uh, it may grow, may not, a lot of things going on. Uh, in that uh, parable there, there's only a 25% really that gives a great return. We don't have any idea who God's going to touch. And it's never our job to be land speculators and to say, well, that's good soil. Our only job is to sow the seed, to sow the love of the gospel into people's lives. Now, uh, you need to know a little bit about me. You probably do because most of you know my daughter. Uh, I'm a pretty upfront kind of person. About 10 years ago, my son was uh, coaching basketball in Kansas City, Kansas, and we had an uh, opportunity to do some uh, outreach there in the schools. So we were invited in to do school assemblies, do character-based assemblies during the day, and they said we could use the gym at night to do faith-based rallies. And so during the day, well, we didn't teach the Bible, we just taught ancient wisdom, which is what the Bible is totally full of, and uh, we were gonna share that with the kids. And we were getting all the pastors together and talking about follow-up and what's going to go on and all like that. And uh, these four pastors came in and instantly could recognize that everybody looked to them as to what they were thinking. And as we're talking about what we're going to do, these four pastors look at me and said, you should have come to us first. You should have talked to us first. We're the doorkeepers for Kansas City, Kansas. Nothing happens here but that we're the ones that start it or bring it about, and I said, okay. I said, so, and what we're wanting to do is reach out to schools This opportunity is being given to us. Are you ready for that? And they said, well, we're not sure. How much money are you going to invest? Because we don't have any money here. I said, you have money. I said, I look at the cars you drove up in, and I see the way you dress. I said, you got money. I said, you just don't have any priorities. That's what you don't have. And they looked at me, and a couple of them got up and said, we aren't going to stand for this, so we're out of here. I get up, and they start to walk the door. They're looking around at the others. The other two were there, kind of sat there. Everybody else was sitting there, and they're kind of looking for everybody else to follow them. And uh, I said, okay, great. You're not on the team? Go. They stopped, and they said, well, maybe. I said, no. I said, one thing I learned from playing basketball. I said, if you're not totally committed, I don't want you on my team. I says, just go ahead and Go. And anybody else wants to go with them? Go. Because I said, all we need is the Lord on our side, <laughs> and if nothing else. But I said, we're going to do this outreach. And it was really a great, powerful outreach. We would see 150, 200 kids get saved uh, every night there out of the seven different schools that we were doing them in. And the crazy thing about it was, then we would create Excel documents for them with all the kids' information about them, and we'd give out to churches, and almost nobody was following up on them. And I was like, what's going on? They said, well, you don't understand. These are inner-city kids. They're really just problems. They don't bring any money into the church. And I thought, how have we come to the stage that that's what we start thinking about is money instead of the opportunity for kids to go to heaven? You know, Doc, I appreciate all the things you you do, and and uh, sharing here, and I'm always praying for you. Excited about it because uh, you know, and what you're all doing outreach is other things. You know. We really do have to reach out to the next generation. It's going to be the greatest opportunity for impact. And if uh, if you don't, pretty quick it dies off. You know, I was kind of uh, notes and I thought, how did we get here, this day, July seventeenth, twenty twenty-two, in the church? How did we get to this stage? And I I love church history, and I thought from Jesus' command to go into all the world, preach the gospel. the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the great numbers that were added to the church there in Jerusalem, the persecution that started in, in the church, they were forced to leave. Otherwise, they would to probably stayed in Jerusalem. Suddenly, they had to leave, and they went and turned the uh, whole world upside down. Missions, the early church that was reported about, them. these are the men, these are the people who have turned the world upside down. Really, it kind of went along for a long time. The church kind of settled in to be in the church. There still was a lot of persecution for the next two or three hundred years. And then in the fourth century, you had Constantine who was the Roman emperor. And the Roman empire was kind of on the decline. And he goes out to fight a battle that he didn't think he was going to win. He looks into the sun and he sees the sign of a cross, kind of like you look at these lights. And uh, he wins victory that day and he says, wow, God must be on my side. And so, suddenly he makes Christianity the state religion for all of Rome, and it's the worst thing that ever happened to the church. Because suddenly it was easy, and it was we could just—it was no issues. There was no persecution. Started to build buildings, and and uh, all get together. Before that, everything had been uh, kind of underground, or had been in uh, uh, just small buildings, or had been in homes, different things. That's the way it worked. They could. I went in and, and you know, uh, you had some good things go on. Uh, Ireland, St. Patrick, uh, even after being a slave there, went back as a missionary to share the gospel and, and, and great revival happened there. But really, you kind of settled into the dark ages a long time because the church kind of was the one running things. I mean, you know, the, the government and all like that, they always looked for the blessing of the church. And it wasn't until in the 13th century, uh, St. Francis Really called people back to a fresh understanding of what Jesus' love was, and for all the world, Martin Luther, who said, "No, we're saved by God's grace alone, by Scripture alone. That's all it is." You had those people persecuted by the church because it's like that's not the way we want it to work. You had John Wesley, and what was the start of the Methodist movement? And John Wesley was uh, uh, started using uh, some of the tunes from the bar rooms and different things there in England uh, because he put uh, words to them, the truth of the gospel, to these catchy tunes and everybody knew the tune and would sing along with it. And then he started teaching people the importance of God's Word. I heard you say it last, uh, Elijah, in your message about, you know, the importance of God's Word. That's one of the first uh, words to hearing God's voice is to know His Word. Otherwise, people get out there with all kinds of crazy ideas. There always has to be the Word of God there. And so, he began to teach methodically, the Word of God, that everybody ought to know the Word of God. And that's the reason he was called a Methodist, and he, kind of, and he did it with a method. You had uh, D.L. Moody there in, uh, in the late 1800s and 19th century. Man, he's, he's reaching out and he's doing great evangelistic campaigns, both in England and in America. Uh, you had the missions movement to start going on. Uh, William Carey, uh, Hudson, uh, David Livingston, uh, to China, to Africa, to all the different places around the world, sharing the truth of the gospel message. Uh, you had the start of the Salvation Army there and uh, of rescuing the perishing and uh, preaching the gospel to the poorest of the poor. Not to just those who would come, but really going uh, here in America to the poorest of the poor. Uh, you had the YMCA uh, that was started as, as a place to reach out to uh, young, uh, young men and everything. Uh, for us, the start of uh, the 20th century was a Pentecostal movement. And once again, the great outpouring came out of the holiness movement of uh, the Holy Spirit there in the early 1900s. And, and now there's almost uh, 600 million Christians that trace their really roots back to that revival that happened at that time. Uh, you had, uh, through this... Uh, the 20th century, the student Christian movement, you had uh, Campus Crusade, uh, the Baptist Student Union, uh, Chi Alpha, all the different ones, started really reaching out to college campuses. I mean, I hope you all recognize always, when I mean, you've got a college right here close, one of the greatest places to both change lives, and those lives that will really go out and change uh, others forever. Uh, suddenly we got into having, uh, we could travel easier, there was trains and, and automobiles and, and planes, and we started to have, uh, everybody went to conferences, and uh, they started to have mega churches because people could just drive wherever and, and the big churches could offer things that the little churches couldn't offer. And, and so we were into that, you know, what is this church offering? And we, we, we developed a consumer mentality of what was going to go on. And uh, because of that, technology uh, has come in and uh, it's great what uh, can be able to share out and share the message people can watch wherever. One of the greatest dangers of it that's happened through COVID is we realized that uh, for many people, Christianity was a spectator sport. It was just something they sat back and watched. It wasn't something they lived out. Just they watched, they did it on uh, Sunday, and they went and did whatever else they wanted through the rest of the week. You know, they said at the start of the pandemic, before that happened, they were thinking that before long, 30% of the church population would no longer go to church because they'd realized they could just watch it online. They didn't really want to be involved with anybody else. They were just spectating. And whenever it was forced in there, because Zoom, which is a great thing for people to be able to see and through the technology, send it out through social media, but the real truth is it's now almost 40% of the people have never come back to church. And they say probably won't, unless there's really a, a, a change, <laughs> a realistic change that happens in their hearts. We're so busy with family and, and working things and everybody there Uh people don't have time to volunteer. Can I say something just up here publicly? I commend all of you looking here. I'm thinking of the hours that I saw everybody put in around this place for volunteering. That doesn't happen much anymore. Everybody wants to do a turnkey kind of thing. But you know what? You've invested and you did things here that's going to count for all of eternity. I remember whenever writing scriptures on the walls, floors and uh, you know those things and really to stand on God's promises what you do. And you know lives are going to be Truly changed. Uh, you know, I look at it in the church, I think sometimes we miss it. Uh, young people, single adults, the greatest opportunity to volunteer, to really wait, trust in God. I would say to all the people in here that aren't married hey, it's uh, much better to be 20 years with no one than one year with the wrong one. You know, i, I, I being honest, man, uh, find well, the right one, and uh, you know, all the great young people you got here—it's a great future. As uh, others will come in, but you know the church has just changed. And you know sometimes we ask the question, and I have pastors who are asking that of me all the time: Why don't people come to church anymore? I said because they just had a relationship with the church. They maybe had a relationship with a pastor, but I don't know if the door had really been opened as Christ was knocking <laughs> on the door of their hearts to where they really had a relationship with Him. And that's all good. I mean, it's great to come to church and see your best friends. I enjoy that. I, I, it's, it's great to get to see everybody here. And as we've been together, that, you know, I only get back every month. seemed like for a while I was back here every other week. But it's, it's great to get to see everybody and hear what's happened in your life and what's going on and everything that, that is happening. That's all great. But the bottom line about the church is it's about giving opportunity for people to step from the world into his church. And uh, there's a lot of issues, I will be honest, with the church. I know that. People can tell me, well, I got hurt by this uh, church, hurt by that, or this reason I don't go. As I've told people, the church is like Noah's Ark. It may stink on the inside, but it's the only thing that floats. It truly is. You better get on board. And You know, people are like, well, I, I think I can do it on my own. It doesn't work that way. Satan would love to get you off and by yourself. We need one another. We need weekly to come in and get a good swift kick in the rear and hear God's Word and the, and the challenge of God's Word. And so I want to share with you today four things that we really need to do, very simple things, to open up the doors of the church. And whenever I'm saying that, I'm not talking just physically this as a church building, I'm talking about for people to step into God's presence. Four things that need to happen that Jesus challenged us with and told us that we needed to do. And the four things are we need to love people, we need to accept people, we need to forgive, and we need to encourage. That's what's needed. We need that. Everybody needs it. You know, first of all, John 13, 34 through 35 Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Later on, Paul writes about a little practicality of that in Romans 12. He says, Romans 12, 9, he says, love must be sincere. Okay, you can't fake it. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Did you hear all those words that were action words in there? This is what we do. I mean, it takes work. Just like it took work to get this place ready uh, to be a facility of work, and, and you, you look around and I think, man, And I was telling Elijah actually, nobody, you can show all the video you want. You can tell all the stories you want. Nobody will ever appreciate all the hard work that went into this unless they were here to do that hard work. When you look around it and it's like, yeah, this this looks great, great. But you don't totally understand what it was. Just like that, to build a church, to build up people, it will take hard work. It takes an investment of our time. You know, uh, Luke 10, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And he says, you know, you had this man who was going down, and everybody would have known about this road, Jericho. It wasn't a good place to be. Uh, it wasn't a good place to travel on. wasn't safe. And this guy got robbed, beaten, left for half dead. And who comes by? It's first of all a priest. He says, uh, I can't uh, touch this guy. I'll be unclean. I'll have to go back and cleanse and take seven days before I can be cleansed again. And I'm on my way to the temple. A Levite comes by, another religious leader. He kind of says the same thing. Uh, Yeah, maybe they've made themselves feel good by saying, I'd really like to do something, but I got to do a job for God. And that's more important that I would do something for God than help this man. Instead of seeing that was really the work that God had for him to do. And it says, then a Samaritan came along who the Jews just hated those people. The Samaritan sees the guy, he goes to him, he takes care of his wounds. He puts oil on it. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to the inn. He pays for him to stay there. Says, it's all action. You go through there and you'll see 12 different action steps that this Samaritan took. And then he says to the man who had asked, he says, you know, well, who is my neighbor? You know, he wanted to justify himself about what he should do. And he said, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He knew the right things to say. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, but who is my neighbor? You know, just like, oh, who am I really responsible for? And Jesus in that story says, when you see a need, that's the need that you're responsible to meet. That's what you're responsible to take care of. Are we meeting the needs that God has put in our path? See, sometimes we'll look at churches and uh, people go to conferences and say, oh, wow, uh, they're doing a great job with social media or, or, or they're doing a great job of uh, You know, outreach in this way or different things. I'm going to do that. And it's amazing. Uh, In my 42 years of ministry, the things that have gotten sold in the name of Jesus because people just want to sell books or sell their own plan and about what I'm doing and everybody would try to act like them. And I'm like, you know, we're not called to meet a need like everybody else is meeting. We're called to meet the need that's in front of us and whatever God has for us. That's what it is just to love somebody. He says, love one another. What does love look like? Christ in the world it looks like whenever you see a need and you meet it believe me people see the difference second there is accept one another Romans 15 Paul says may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God was already starting to get in the church that people were already starting to say, and Paul had said this in his letter to the Corinthians. Some would say, well, I'm of Paul, and some would say, well, I'm of Apollos. He's the one that's taught me, or who it is. He says, no, I'm of Christ. See, our world loves to divide, and Satan loves division. You know, Jesus prayed in his last prayer there in John 17 for unity. Therefore, I will guarantee you, when you see division, it's always of Satan. When you see things that tear others down, it's always a Satan. And sometimes I'm thinking, how did the church get to the stage to be noted for how we hate other people? You know, he told us to hate what is evil, which is sin. God's creation isn't evil. People aren't evil. The sin is. We need to be able to recognize the difference there and realize every person has been created in God's image. God loves them just as much as He loves you. And He says, you have to accept one another. Are we an accepting church? Are you an accepting person? When people come in, do they feel accepted? Do they feel welcomed? You need to honestly answer that question. You know, uh, I used to always hang out and welcome visitors and everything like that, and sometimes people say, you need to go on and be in service. And I said, well, quite often visitors may arrive a little bit late or something like that, and and I want to greet them. And uh, they're like... And it's almost sometimes they were more interested in whether what I was doing for them or what it looked like at church than that person that might come in for just that one Sunday. It might be the only opportunity I ever had to speak into their lives. And I was going to take it. it didn't matter who they were or whatever. Sometimes people will say oh, you know what church they came from and I know what problems they caused over there. I'm like that's really none of my business. I'm going to preach the word of God. And if there's a problem, I'm not afraid to handle it. But that's not what I'm worried about. I'm worried about preaching the Word of God and showing them love and accepting them. Are we accepting of people who don't know Christ and who don't know God's love? Never expect sinners to act like Christians. The thing that bothers me the most is sometimes I see Christians who act like sinners. Never expect expect and put an expectation on, well, that person shouldn't do that. If they don't know Christ, why are there, there's no boundaries in their lives. And pretty much we can look out and there's not many boundaries out through society anymore. You look at the divisions that go on and whether people would say, you know, I'm for this or I'm against this or, you know, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican or I'm a red state or a blue state. You know, everything's about division. And I I look at our, our 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 leaders and and, you know split down the middle and they can't ever get anything done because all they do is stay together instead of saying wait a minute what is best for our country which is the responsibility they have it's just no what's the best for keeping me in office or what's the best for getting money out of those who are going to donate money to my uh, you know some people said well you don't like this person I said I'm not sure I really like any of them I pray for them all But I'm not sure, as I always said, uh, uh, in God I trust, everybody else I double check. I just am not uh, real positive that uh, I, I trust any of them with that. So we have to love one another. We have to be accepting of others. And third one is we have to forgive one another. In Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. In Colossians 3, 12, 14, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is probably one of the toughest things to do is to Forgive. And to illustrate this, Jesus told them this parable, and it's called the parable of the unforgiving servant or the unmerciful servant. And remember, there was this one guy who uh, this the king, the leader, called in all of his debts and everybody to pay their debts. This guy came in and this guy owed one or ten thousand bags of gold. And the story's in Matthew 18, uh, oh verses there, 21 through 35, and he's crying out. He says. Patient with me. He says, have mercy. He says, give me time. I'll pay back everything. I don't know I'm going to tell you how much that is. He said, and this guy had mercy and said, you know what? It's forgiven. Don't worry about it. You don't have to pay off that debt. And he goes out and he finds somebody who owes him a hundred denarii. And he begins to beat and choke him and say, you got to pay me back. And he has him and his family thrown into prison. Whenever the one ruler heard about it, what had happened, he said, bring him in here. And he says, you now have to pay back everything that you owe and I'm going to throw you in prison because so you can do it. Let me give you a concept in today's, and you can always figure it out, anytime you see in the Bible that it says somebody was given a talent, a talent was worth 20 years of the average person's pay of a day worker. So let's say in our country, Right now, everybody's pushing $15 an hour is what everybody ought to make. I don't really know how you can hardly live on $15 an hour. But, you know, that's what they say. So, a day laborer. Remember the story of the talents whenever Jesus went out and uh, uh, the person who was working the vineyard says, go find workers, and he finds some at 6 o'clock in the morning, he hires them for a denarii. Some others, he went out at 9 o'clock. Others at noon, others at 3, and even at 5 o'clock with only one hour left in the day. He goes out and he hires, and he says, okay, now call them in. I'm going to pay them last to first. And he pays them last to first, and he gives the the ones who had been there only one hour the denarii. A silver coin, that was what was equal to a day's wages for a laborer. The others are thinking, wow, if they're getting that for one hour's work, what am I going to get for having been here six hours, or I'm going to get for being here 12 hours? And he pays everybody the same thing. And they become upset with him. He says, it's my money. Didn't you agree to work for that? Is it wrong? Because I want to be generous to this other person? Because I know their needs. The idea was what you would make in that day was really what it would take just to get by on, just to live and just to exist on. So to give you an idea, Peter had asked this question here in Matthew 18. He says, how many times do I have to forgive somebody who sins against me? And Jesus says, not just... Seven times, say, but 70 times seven. Really, kind of speaks out there, it's almost an infinite number. And then to give an understanding of, you know, how, how, how many times should I forgive? How much should I forgive? Let me give you an idea. You and You can kind of work this out. Whenever you see that they, get, uh, they got a talent, a talent is worth 20 years of a laborer's wage. They work 12 hours a day, six days a week back then. So with that, if you multiply the 12 times uh, the $15, that'd be 180 bucks. 312 days, you would work back then. It was only the Sabbath was the day that they had off. And then you've got to multiply that by 20 years, remember. And then you, you multiply that by 20 years, then you've got to say it was 10,000 bags of gold. That was what one bag of gold was worth in there. When you look at those of 10,000 bags, what this guy owed in a laborer's wage, if it's $15 an hour, was 11232000000 million. Was the debt that he owed to this guy, and the guy forgave it because he asked for mercy. He goes out and finds a guy for 100 silver coins at an eye, so that's 12 hours times 15, 180 bucks times 100 days' wages. $18,000. He's just been forgiven $11.23 billion. And he's going to beat and strangle a guy and have him thrown into prison over 18000 To give a comparison of how much that is, and it really is whenever the story is about how much God loves us and what He's forgiven of us, of our sin, versus what we should ever do whenever somebody wrongs us. That 18,000, that 11.232 billion dollars, divided by the 18,000, comes out to 624,000 times as much. Is what it would be. I told people, I don't ever want to be judged if I don't forgive, according to those standards. Whenever the master says, having thrown into prison him and all his family, until he can pay back that amount. The truth is, there's no way from prison for sure. And no, really realistically, he could have ever paid that. What he's telling the story is, you didn't ever earn your salvation. None of us did. God's grace is so great in our lives, it's to that point. I mean, I can't even fathom $11 billion. And to be forgiven that. And then, what's such a small amount? What whenever somebody wrongs us and hurts us? Oh, you don't know what they've done. I can never forgive that. Boy, what have we done just to put ourselves back into a debtor's prison? See, sometimes the greatest act of love is to forgive somebody because they really see the difference. They know how much they're wrong. They know what they did. Sometimes it's like, no, we want them to know. We want to rub their face in it. Why do I know people are like that? Because I'm like that. I grew up in a family like that. I had 14 brothers and sisters. And, you know, it was always that fact of, okay, First time you hurt me, shame on me. You hurt me again. I'm never going to forgive you. And we just, you know, we're raised like that. And the whole world is like that. And we want to talk about, you know, well, I can't believe what they would do. We need to recognize everything in light of God's Word and what God would say. See, the world doesn't want us to live forgiving lives. Satan would love for the church just to be contained into the four walls. But the reason we have a door that we come in and a door that we go out. When we walk out today, we walk out into the mission field to share the love of Christ with other people. And that may be through love. That may through be through just accepting them, just accepting who they are. You know how many people there are in the world who feel totally unaccepted that nobody loves them, cares, spend so much time trying to get accepted, people who are famous, I've got to have a certain number of followers. I've got to know that I'm liked. How many likes did I get? You know, I've told people, I'm really not a lot on social media. I don't worry as long as I can uh, get a check mark every day from God and know that He liked me. That's all I need. As <laughs> uh, long as I know that he, is, he likes me. I mean, it's nice and everybody else does. Why would people want to come somewhere that they're not going to be forgiven? And when I look at the church, many times I see that. It's kind of just become sometimes a social club. That's what we're called to. We have been invited into his kingdom. We've been given joint heirs with him and saying everything he has is ours. Therefore, if he can forgive $11 billion, man, how, what does he have? Sometimes you'll even see some of these things. I'm always like, okay, this says 10,000 bags of gold. If God uses that to pave the streets... How important is it to God? See, it's people that He's created in His image. Every person out there, no matter what they did in this last week, no matter what happened, what's going on in their lives, God loves them just as much as He could ever love me. And the last one is we need to encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Keep on doing it. Hebrews 3.12 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage. What can you do to encourage someone? What kind of encouragement can you give? I heard this from somebody, and I've kind of tried to incorporate it in my life. And it's called frank encouragement. And it's a what direction there? out of the word Frank. And it's your friends, your relatives, your associates, kind of the people you work with, your peer group, different things, your neighbors, and key community leaders. And it was talking to us as far as in leaders and saying, okay, this is who you need to reach out to. And I have five ways that I try to do this on a daily basis with somebody. Either a phone call, I know I'm old fashioned whenever I still use a phone to make a phone call. They're for everything else nowadays, but but it seems like a phone call. To text, send an email, get together face to face. or social media, you know, I have Facebook, I really don't have anything else and, uh, uh, you know, so, you know, I sometimes will try whenever I have free time, just scroll down through there. And realize it means to people to like, to say happy birthday, happy anniversary, different things. And, and uh, how do I know they want that? And how do I know they're watching? Because I usually do it even late at night. They're still watching at the end of the day. <laughs> Who wanted to wish me happy birthday? Like, oh, we all want that. We want to be encouraged. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. We were created for that. We were created to need one another. That's the reason I say you can't live a Christian life by yourself. It doesn't work. We need one another. We were created for one another. So think about that. You know, let me put that down. Just write that simple down or make up your own alliteration, whatever. Friends, relatives, associates, neighbors, key community leaders. I try to do that. You know, whenever we start reaching out in our community and start doing things, we created kind of this city phase partnership there in the city of Shawnee, a suburb of about 65,000 that, that I live in there in Kansas City. When we started that with uh, a mayor we went to and talked to, and this guy was a football coach, actually, or my son teaches now to Latham North at that time, Jeff Myers. And he was a hard-nosed guy, and he was like, you want to do what? I said, we just want to be here to help. How can we help the city? Praying for you, praying for others. Like, what? And he is always like, what's the catch here? But finally, he's like, okay, yeah, I could use the help. And out of that, since that time, God has given us a strong Christian mayor, <laughs> a strong uh, Christian city manager, uh, police chief, uh, uh, the fire chief. We do chaplaincy with all things and the opportunities to work with those key community leaders and, and encourage, and we still do with others. And now we have a thing where we get together with the police chiefs all around the city. I missed the one on, on Friday afternoon because we were all driving up here. But, man, to be able to do that and and, uh, and to get together with them, and they said, man, if this happens, will you all stand with us? Will you? community or, or what happens if we have issues or problems or riots in our city? What will you do all across the Kansas City area? And, you know, we built those key relationships in there and, and we'll just, hey, text. they're just thinking about you. I mean, it's amazing to, to have, have the numbers. We had an incident where a neighbor of ours, uh, this guy was trying to, uh, it was their son and on drugs and he was just real abusive and I was like, okay, I just called and, uh, the police department and said, hey, you just do a drive-by? Take care of this? Uh, they are about 10.30 at night. And I thought, wow, how great. You know, they came by, <laughs> took care of it, and actually have him into a program now, hopefully there, because, you know, his mom just struggled with uh, to do something. I thought, hey, somebody needs to intervene in this guy's life. And, you know, the relationships, because we encourage, because we're there. Who have you encouraged this last week? Can you put a name with it? Can you come up with a name of somebody you've said something encouraging to, or you sent a positive text to, or you wrote something nice about it? What would it be? Tell me you wouldn't be the most liked person on social media if everything you said was positive. Man, I look out there and I see people who get to arguing and fighting over things, and uh, Christian people. I'm just like, what are you doing? What are you putting out there for everybody to see and all these issues and all like that? Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together somewhere in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, the more the church changes, the more it stays the same. We're really called just a simple church. This is not as tough as we've made it out to be. And I've told people, in all reality, we've been making this up for 2,000 years of what Jesus told us we need to do, of loving one another, of accepting, forgiving, and just encouraging. See, because in that, you are a doorkeeper. We need to open the door to God's church. And again, I'm not talking about the garage door entrance or the front door entrance or wherever it be. That's not what I'm talking about. You're the doorkeeper. See, if you work with somebody and don't ever act like a Christian or don't ever show the, share the love of Christ, as I say, man, you need to share Christ with everybody. And if you have to, use words. But people shouldn't have to have words to know that. See, that's the inconsistency. The church preaches all kinds of things and never lives them. And we wonder why the world looks at it and will say, well, I'm not sure I want to be a part of that. But if we live like Jesus did, we love people, and we accepted them. And whenever they hurt us, because they will, okay? If you're around people, let's say, growing up in a family of 15 kids, we could hurt each other. You probably have that in your own home. You know, I was joking about uh, uh, about Zion and, and Bronson. Bronson is our grandson from Kansas City and Zion here. There was times they got to be like brothers over these last three, you know, three weeks with grandparents' camp. You know, they kind of just rub each other a little bit the wrong way in different things. That happens. But you know in just a moment, that'd be over and done, and they'd be back to playing. You know, that's the way we need to be. Maybe we need to live lives like kids and say, hey, what's more important? I'm more into relationship than I am to being right. What if you set out just to encourage? What if you made a commitment just for one week and said, I'm going to encourage everybody? Yeah, you know, I was amazed when I were up here in Philadelphia. Because I personally, anyway, just walking down the street, saying hi to people, they kind of look at you like, "What's wrong with you?" Well, they do that in Kansas too, so that's okay. I'm not judging one place over another. Uh, I remember one of the leaders from the mosque down here. I got to talking to this, and we were out there working and kind of developed a relationship. I thought, how am I going to share the love of Christ if I don't have a relationship? Is there going to be putting a sign? on my building or handing out a pamphlet and then they don't see that in my life you and I are the doorkeepers we need to take advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil see we don't know when it may be for somebody their last day you might be their last opportunity to see the love of Christ I'm not telling you what, you might be That might be God's plan, and the Holy Spirit's saying, encourage that person, Elsa. Speak something into their life. We say, no, but I don't know. That person's been a jerk at work. They've really treated me bad. Maybe nobody else says that. That's what goes on in my mind, okay? I think, go ahead. But if I don't, first of all, I'm not being like Christ, but I'm expecting his love and grace and forgiveness in my life. But I'm saying. I don't have to match it with somebody else's. And I can't match it again 624,000 times as much. That to me is pretty much infinite. It says, you know what? I can never work and gain forgiveness. If I go through all my life forgiving everybody, I'll never even begin to equal well out with what God did for me. What if we made a commitment here? I didn't have that down, but we uh, made a commitment. One week. How many will commit to try for one week? I'm not telling you to make like it. You, you try to love, accept, forgive, and encourage the people God's put in your life. Right? Do that. Say, I try. Week. Good. Okay? That commitment you're making isn't to me. It's not like I'm going to follow up, you see, because I don't know where you go through the week or what goes on. I'm driving back to Kansas City tomorrow. But God knows. God says, I want you to be the doorkeeper. I want you to open the door to my love and grace. And again, you say, what if I do that, and I forgive them, and then I get hurt again? You very well may. But I'd rather get hurt by them than one day have God look at me and say, you know, you said you did everything in my name Phil. Depart from me. I never knew you. He says he's going to say that to religious people. He's not into religious people. He's into relationship people. Relationship people love, accept, forgive, and encourage. And can I tell you, the guy who's preaching it to you today struggles with that every day of the week. I have to get up and make that commitment every day. Because it won't be long till somebody will do something, that they'll stretch that. And maybe if I stayed in bed all day, all by myself, it'd be easier. But that's not the way the world works, not the, not the way we live. So I'm going to ask if you'd just stand this morning. I want to pray over you. I'm going to give it back to Elijah here in just a second. I want to pray for you. Because I know that where you're going, where you're at, you're touching people that none of the rest of us touch. You're pastoring people. Elijah may pastor you in this church, and he may pastor people that he works with in uh, his company. He actually may do that. They may do it with... People they meet, clients they have, different things. You may do it on outreach, but the truth is, everywhere you go, you're going to pastor somebody. You're going to show the love of Christ. Or, you're going to show your own selfishness, and therefore, they're never going to know the love of Christ. You're the only way they know. They're not going to read a Bible, they're going to read you. They're not going to be praying. You probably need to be praying for. The Pastor does pray for you, Heavenly Father. I thank you for how much you love, accept, forgive, and encourage me. I know the truth about me. I know the struggles, and yet, Lord, you've never changed. You've always been faithful. Lord, I know that everybody else in here knows the truth about themselves. We have been invited enter the door. You were the doorkeeper to your grace, to your love, to your forgiveness. You knocked on the door of our heart. We responded. You said, enter in. We are called to be faithful. Lord, I live for that day to be in heaven here. Well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray for each one here because they're going to be around people this week that I don't know anything about. They're going to work with them. They're going to be living in the same apartment complex as them. They're going to be driving down the road alongside of them. I don't know what the situation is going to be. But Lord, you've just called us to just sow your love out there. It's your job to bring about the harvest. So Lord, help us just to be faithful. Lord, may we be faithful doorkeepers. And we are opening the door never anything that would restrict our whole people out. Lord, we'll allow your word, your Holy Spirit, to bring about conviction in their lives. You've not called us to that. You've called us just to be faithful, just to love. So Lord, I pray for each one here. Lord, I thank you, because not only are they just somebody preaching today, but there are people I've watched or worked alongside of. their friends. Lord, bless our weeks as we go and serve you together. In so your name we pray.